Well, good morning, Living Hope, for those who are at home watching and those who are in this room. It's so good to see uh, all of you here. You know, before I get into the message, I wanted to say a few words really quickly about the events that occurred on January 6th this past week at the nation's capital. I am not going to make any kind of statements on election fraud or the Senate race in Georgia or conspiracies or, or nationalism. I am neither trained nor am I called to speak confidently on any of those things. And I am pretty sure that everyone who is watching or here in this room, uh, as with so many other voices around the country, would condemn violence uh, in the way that uh, we saw in, in some part. But I am trained and I have been called to teach the Bible, to introduce you to the person of God and to protect the local church. And I wanted to just say something quickly about one element of what we saw this past week. The thing that I felt a need to speak out on is a connection, a loose connection that I saw with some, uh, with some of what was happening to uh, the Christian faith. And I, I, there was an image of a, of a protester and he was wearing a sweatshirt and the sweatshirt had an image and it read, God, guns, and Trump. And I don't know about you, and I can understand why many, even among the Christians, uh, may feel a need to protest uh, peacefully, but what I did find troubling is the identification of the Christian faith with uh, some of what's going on, and the way that God was put on the same level as a human leader. I believe that is akin to taking the Lord's name in vain, and I believe it is in some ways mocking the name of God. And so, um, I, and I would say this if the shirt said, uh, God, guns, and Biden, or uh, God, guns, and Tim Keller, or, or whoever else that we consider to be heroes in our own sphere. And so I know that's not much, but I just did want to say that I, I, I do want us to protect the name of Christ and the church and, and not get confused, right? So thank you for that. Um, you know, in light of what happened and just in light of what is happening, I believe one of the things that a lot of people are experiencing is the feeling of disillusionment. They're disillusioned because things didn't happen as they expected. Or for some people, things happened as they expected, but it wasn't as gratifying and satisfying and, um, and fulfilling. And so we have a general sense of, uh, of disillusionment. We've all become a little bit cynical of life. And I believe the book that we're going to be looking at today, the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you have not turned there yet, uh, and very few people are now turning pages, but fire up your apps to Ecclesiastes. And let me give you a little bit of uh, an understanding of the book of Ecclesiastes. It was written most likely by, the, by King Solomon, uh, the person who was the wisest, one of the most uh, astute individuals of his era. He was immensely successful in all ways. He led the nation in its heyday, per se. 
But when he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is kind of like a poetry book, a collection of wisdom. It's in fact found next to uh, Psalm and Proverbs. He writes this book uh, toward the end of his life, after he experienced a lot of life. And the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is vanities. Chapter 1, verse 2, vanities of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanities, another word for vanities, it's useless, meaningless. Everything, life is meaningless. We get to chapter 4, verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. Verse 8, he talks about how he has accomplished so much. And for those who work so hard to accomplish much, he asks themselves, why? What am I doing this for? For whom am I doing this? Chapter 4, verse 8, this also is vanity and an unhappy business. Why do I try so hard to get into the best college? Why is it that I am so striving to get the next promotion? Why do I work so hard to uh, increase my earnings or portfolio or uh, the square footage of my house or to be respected by those in the industry? Why? All of it is vanity. He had talked through, and, and so much of the book of Ecclesiastes are uh, the voice of cynicism, disillusionment. But in the midst of all of that, in our passage today, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, he breaks and says, now, but this is better. This has meaning. Let me read from the ESV version. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken." So what he's saying, and, and the, the message for today is simply this, two are better than one. Two are better than one. And he gives four ways in which two are better than one. First, two are better than one because we will go further. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. The Good News Translation says they work they can work more effectively, and the New Living Translation says they can help each other succeed. It has the idea of someone who's working really hard, not being lazy, and someone who can accomplish a lot, but they can do better if they work side by side with others. You know, there's a lot that we can do, you and I can accomplish, uh, we can produce, we can profit. But there are times when Solomon is saying that in the long run and in the bigger things, it's better uh, to do it together with others. In the book of Exodus, if you recall, the nation was in uh, captivity in the land of Egypt. 
And in Exodus chapter 4, there was an individual by the name of Moses. He runs into a burning bush, and it was the presence of God. And God tells Moses, go back to Egypt and free your people. And to this, uh, there's, a, there's a conversation that occurs, and a lot of times we don't really like slow down to read that conversation to, to look at it. Moses makes all sorts of excuses. Well, if, the, if I go back and tell them, well, and they ask, well, what is your name, what do I say? And what if they don't believe me, what do I do? And God patiently gives him an answer. And then Moses says, but I'm not an eloquent speaker. My preaching is not really good. And to this it says in Exodus 4 that the Lord got angry with Moses. But God says, well, you can take Aaron with you, your brother. And if you uh, know the story, Aaron, who kind of becomes like the co-pastor, the co-leader, uh, is a source of trouble in, in some ways throughout the journey. God calls Moses to start the journey in faith, in courage, alone, not needing to depend on his own giftedness or ability, but Moses lacked faith for that. And there are times, I, I do want to be clear, that God calls us to begin the journey even if we have to do it alone. But in Numbers chapter 11, the, the people were out in the wilderness, a, a lot of people, and Moses, the undisputed leader of the people, anointed by God, recognized, and, and when he spent time with God, the glory of God shone on his face. It says in Numbers chapter 11, verse 14, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Uh, in Exodus chapter 4, he said, I'm not an eloquent speaker. God got angry. In Numbers chapter 11, says the burden is too heavy. And this time, it's interesting that the Lord does not get angry with him. But rather, the Lord says to Moses, uh, find, go appoint 70 elders to rule alongside of you. And in that particular set of a conversation, the Lord says also to Moses in chapter 11, verse 17 of Numbers, and I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it um, yourself alone. It's interesting. Moses said, I'm not an eloquent speaker. No, no, you're talking... Um, without courage and without faith. And here he says, I, the burden is too heavy. He says, I understand. Uh, empower others, but please know that I'm going to share my spirit with others. So uh, you're going to have to share glory, spotlight, authority, and power and authority. There are times when we are called to start the journey alone, by faith, even when we don't feel like we are qualified or gifted. God calls us to obedience, not giftedness. 
But when the journey is long and when the task is heavy, it's better, listen, it's better to do it with others. Which means that we need to share glory, share power. We need to have faith when we begin the journey, but we also need humility to continue to the journey. Two are better than one because we can go further, and you've heard it said that we can go faster alone, but we can go further together with others. Secondly, the reason why two are better than one is because we will fall. Because we will fall. Verse 10, for if they all if if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. What Solomon is saying is this, after having lived a full life, there will be times when we fall. There will be times when we fail. And if you are alone, there will be no one to pick you up. But it is when you have been doing the journey with others, they will be there with you during those times of failure. And I believe the kind of fall that we especially need other people to come alongside of us, listen, is when we fall morally and when we fall spiritually. Those are the times I believe we need journeyed with us. You know, just uh, this week I was having a conversation with a couple of my pastor friends, and we were talking about a well-known, a well-respected Christian leader who experienced um, some unfortunate fall. And we were wondering aloud in our conversation, it was a Zoom conversation, how could he, of all people he knows better, how could he have been so, I hate to use the word stupid. And, and, and I wondered aloud, what is the difference between those who continue in their stupidity and those who, though they may make mistakes, don't continue in their stupidity? And, and one of my pastor friends quickly remarked, friends, those who have friends don't continue in their stupidity. But it is when we are isolated and no one can speak into our lives that not only do we make mistakes, but we continue in that stupidity isolated from others. You know, if you recall the story of King David, he had a, a great group of friends, the mighty men of David. But he rose to such prominence that everyone then, then was working for him. He had no equal, per se. He had no peers, per se. And when uh, it was time for kings to go out to war, it says he was in the palace, alone, isolated. He was tempted and he, he told those who were working for him to go inquire and bring that woman Bathsheba to me. But because they were working for him, 
They did not stop or question him, but they aided and abated in his stupidity. And so you know the story. He commits adultery, royal rape, we call it. And then the cover-up is worse, and he murdered her husband, which happened to be one of his good friends. It is when we are isolated, when we have too much power, and no one can uh, hold us accountable, that we sometimes do stupid, stupid things. If you recall the story, he thought he had gotten away with it by marrying this woman, and, and people knew though around the palace said, hey, the timing is not right. At one point in time, a man by the name of Nathan, the prophet, comes and asks the king, King, what do you say of a man who steals from a neighbor a, a precious, precious um, uh, belonging of theirs? What would you say to that? And King David says, no, that person's guilty and should be punished. And at that moment, Nathan risked his life. There was nothing for Nathan to gain by this particular confrontation. And it's, it's, it's a chilling confrontation. Nathan the prophet looks at King David in the eye and says, You are that man. Nathan had nothing to be gained by this, but he cared for the glory of God, he cared for the nation, and he cared for David. Proverbs 27.6, listen carefully, and I believe we're going to see it on the lower thirds on the screen. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Listen carefully. A true friend should be able to wound us, should have the, the license, the permission to speak truth into us even when it hurts. And when uh, we have a friend because they don't want to hurt our feeling, because they don't want to risk their standing, uh, refuses or hides or, or does not speak truth into us, uh, what the Writer of Proverbs is saying is that, that, that that's a kiss of an enemy. That relationship centers around what they can get from you, but a true friend should be able to wound you. Listen, all of us, every single one of us, will do something stupid in their lives. More, uh, some do more stupid things than others, but we all do something stupid. We have done, we are doing, we will do something stupid. The question here, as in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 10, do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have someone who can come alongside of you, look you in the eye, have nothing to gain, and say to you, you are that man. You are that woman. Um, may I say to you, uh, if, if the qualities of a Nathan. Nathan is someone who knows you well. Knows you well. He knows you or she knows you well enough to know when you're hiding, when you're lying. You have a friend like that? You have someone who knows when you're 
you're just hiding things and you're too vague with your answer? Nathan is someone who cares for you enough to risk uh, personal loss or even calling you out publicly if necessary. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And thirdly, and, and just because we have friends, we have close friends, um, and, and sometimes bad company corrupts good morals and third qualities of a Nathan. It's not only that he cares, not only does he knows you, but he is aligned with the will of God for your life. He is aligned with the will of God for your life. He's not enabling you in your sin, but he's pointing you toward the will of God. Blessed are you if you have a Nathan in your life, and blessed are you all the more if you are a Nathan to someone else. Two are better. Because one of these days, if you have not yet, you will fall spiritually or morally, or you're about to, and you, we need a Nathan in our, li our, our lives. Listen carefully. Not after you fall, but before you fall. When you're doing okay spiritually, when you're doing okay morally, that's when you and I will be most open to inviting and investing in a Nathan in our lives. And you tell that friend, not today, but perhaps one of these days, I may fall or I may slide into something. I give you permission as my friend to call me out, confront me, to call me out on public if you needed to. We need to do that when we are healthy spiritually so to protect us uh, for, for the time when we are not healthy. I hope that makes sense. Third reason why two are better is because we will be cold. Verse 11, again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can they keep warm alone? The idea is simple. The world is a cold place. And we are not able to withstand the cold if we are alone. The image that comes up in my mind, uh, again, I'm going to talk about animals. Remember, um, uh, if, you, if you watch any nature programs and you watch the, the, uh, the penguins in Antarctica, and in the dead of winter, in the cold and in the dark, the penguins will huddle up. And they huddle up for two reasons. They, um, they huddle up to, to protect them from the harsh wind that comes at them. But the second reason why they huddle up is to share body heat. Thermal transfer says that if you're warm and the environment is cold, that heat will escape from you. And if you're huddled together, uh, what escapes one penguin will naturally just go to the next penguin and they preserve heat. So... If the penguins were all uh, alone, they would all freeze to death, but together they survive. You know, it's interesting. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus rises up early, if you recall. He goes to an isolated place to pray. He leaves the crowd, he leaves the disciples to pray alone. But in Mark chapter 14, verse 32, Jesus goes to Gethsemane to pray. But he brings John, James, and Peter with him. What is the difference between Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 40, uh, 14? Jesus is going there to pray. 
one alone and the other with others. And I say to you, the difference is this. In Mark chapter 1, the sun is rising. And in, John chapter 14, in Mark chapter 14, it is dark and he's heading into the cross. Jesus confesses to his friends in Mark 14 that he himself was greatly distressed and troubled and says of himself, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. This is the Son of God, the perfect man, to admit to his male friends, hey guys, I'm distressed. Guys, I, I, I am so troubled. Um, man, uh, uh, my soul is sorrowful like, to the point of death. Would you come and pray with me? Would you come just, just, just give me your presence? The difference between Mark 1, the light is coming, Mark 14, the dark is coming. And in the cold and in the dark, Jesus, the perfect man, says, I need others with me. If you recall the story at Gethsemane, so Jesus says to his three friends, pray with me, keep watch over me. And they fell asleep, if you recall. He comes back and says, can't you pray for an hour? Life is cold, and it is in the cold that we need the presence of other people. Even the imperfect presence of our friends. I am sure the human Jesus felt disappointed with Peter, John, and James. It's like, hey, you guys hurt my feelings more by falling asleep in my greatest moment of need but I want you to know that the sovereign Lord Jesus still invited them to share their presence with him. And, and there are times when we are walking in the dark, we are in the cold, and we need the warmth of the presence of a friend. And when that friend comes around, they sometimes say, um, they say the wrong things. Sometimes they're distracted. Sometimes they don't quite understand you, and you do that for others in their time of need. But Jesus does not abandon this idea, but he still invites them to share in their presence. Listen, we need to be like Peter, James, and John. We're going to fall asleep. We're not going to understand. We're going to disappoint but that does not mean we give up. But we still give our presence. And we can't gather in person, but even though we have fatigue, Zoom, call, text, DM, whatever is necessary, let those who are in the dark, in the cold, know that you exist and you are there. I, I am assuming that if you've done any kind of reaching out, if you've had any kind of conversation, deep conversation with, with a circle of friends or, or even semi-acquaintances, and you spend enough time asking, how are you doing? How are you handling the pandemic? How is work? How is uh, you know, raising kids at home? That they will talk about how isolating 
difficult, cold, and darkest moment in time is. And they just want someone to walk with them. Fourth reason why two is better is because we will face pressure. Verse 12, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cold is not quickly broken. The Living Translation says, uh, illustrates it this way. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Solomon is saying that we will face not simply the cold, but opposition. Someone who is uh, wanting to attack, destroy you, hurt you. And it is then that we need someone to have our backs. It is when, and I love the illustration of the rope, the, where a three-strand, and I'm going to try to do this, but I don't know if you can actually see it, but if you look at a rope, oftentimes it is braided with different strands or cords. And what that does is that when you are, um, when you braid different strands together, what it does is it protects it a little bit from the weakest point. It strengthens the ability of, of all of it to, to bear weight. But here's the problem. And, and, and this is how it kind of works. If you have a rope and you're hanging weight on it, uh, and the three cords or the four cords, it not only experiences pressure or tension downward from the weight that it's holding, but because it's braided, it produces lateral tension. It starts to hug and grip the other cords. So if you are a cord in a rope, you not only feel the pressure, the tension from the weight, but you start feeling the tension from the other cord. Does that make sense at all? Look it up in a book later, okay? I love this illustration because this is what it is saying. That when we face opposition, when we face pressures of life, and we are braided in friendship, not only will we experience that opposition, but some, but by being braided, by being in friendship, by having that, those conversations, we will face some of the pressures and pains of our friends. So if they're going through a really difficult time and we are meeting together on a regular basis, their pains will be displayed on, uh, on, to, uh, uh, on you. They will sometimes get short-tempered with you. They will become needy with you, and it's not even your problem. Their problem becomes your pain. There's that lateral pressure that you're experiencing, and your temptation and our temptation is, why am I putting up with this? This is not my problem. And what Solomon is saying is that when we are together, there are times when you need to help bear the load, the burden of others, and when we are bound that way, there will be other times when they are going to bear your burdens. And we will protect each other from our weakest moments. When Naomi, this woman, a widow, lost both her sons, both her sons, 
How tragic is that? A, a mother shouldn't have to bury both her sons. She's going to go back home because she has no hope. She knows that she will be branded and seen as a cursed woman. And Naomi, uh, uh, Ruth, the daughter-in-law, she could have gone back home to her parents. But Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Naomi, not for my sake, but for your sake. I, I, I'm going to bind myself to you. And some of the pressures and the, the gossip and, and the side talk that you will hear, I will bear them with you. Two is better. Life is better. We are better. That person could be a spouse. It could be a daughter or a parent. It could be a, a, a sibling, a brother or sister. It could be a friend or a co-laborer. It could be an, uh, a group of leaders that we serve alongside of. It could be a, 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 a Nathan that we have in our lives. It can be friends who uh, disappoint you persistently, but they're still with you. Or it could be a Ruth, and you're just amazed at her loyalty. You know, when the scripture talks about God, and tries to explain God to us, uh, the scripture oftentimes uses uh, relational metaphors. A father, a groom, a shepherd, a friend. And he says to us that ultimately, the one that we are bound to is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the, but the earthly relationships that we have, as disappointed uh, disappointing as they sometimes may be will help us to point to Jesus uh, and, and together and, and there are times listen there are times when you don't want to pray there are times you run out of faith and it's when we're bound to those friendships that they pray for you and with you and I'm so grateful for Pastor Ben and the cell group that we're starting encouraging one another and that's what we want for us. Don't look for a Nathan, but be a Nathan. Be a Peter, John, and James. I'm fall asleep if you have to, but at least be there for them. Let me pray for us, and I'm going to ask the band to come up. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that in the midst of our imperfections, that you use us in friendships, that you allow us to to pour into the lives of others. Lord, I pray for the men, women in this room and in our online space that, Lord, that, um, that you would give us the heart to invest in and invite relationships uh, for your glory and the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.